everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Anything But Typical podcast. It's so good to have Jennifer Guthrie on the episode today, and I'm anxious to dive into her story. Um, There's a whole lot there, I'm sure, that y'all are going to love. So, Jennifer, as we do on the Anything But Typical podcast, we always start with a heartbeat question, and the heartbeat question is this. So, you are getting ready, going through the uh, concourse at Charlotte Douglas Airport, heading to your favorite place, your happy place on the clear blue waters of Exuma's Bahamas. And somebody sees you walking through concourse A or B or C or D or E, whatever. It's probably what A, B or C. Um, mm-hmm. They see you and they start talking to you and are talking about you and didn't realize that you could still hear everything that they're saying. What would you like to have somebody say about you? Oh, well, that's just an awkward question. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, saying, you know, oh, she does a really good job. She's, uh, you know, I love it when they say, well, she's got a really fascinating business. And, you know, what she does, never heard of anybody doing anything like that. And, um, You know, I would like to say, did you hear that she kind of did the impossible that, you know, she was a single mom, three kids, and she, you know, created a, a successful business. Um, I think that would be pretty cool. Because that was a big yeah, accolade. Cool. Well, it, it is an awkward question, or it's definitely different. That's why we do it on the Anything But Typical <laughs> podcast. If you want to go to the typical <laughs> podcast, they don't ask that. <laughs> good job now i understand (laughs) (laughs) all right so before we we get into your story jennifer i want to give the uh the listeners quick background of you so jennifer is the founder and ceo of in-flight crew connections uh which was founded in 2002 she's gotten the smart ceos bravo award and charlotte business journals women in business achievement award and then there's some other accolades with the business as well that we're going to get into later but jennifer i want you to start by painting a picture for us of of where were you prior to starting inflate well i graduated from college and um, started a career off in insurance and so didn't really want enjoy that. But my goal when I was 16 was to become a business owner, uh, even though I didn't know what it was that I wanted to do. And I think that once I left the insurance industry, I spent time dabbling in several businesses, but was never successful at them, you know, from a bridal store to catering and event and I wouldn't say it wasn't successful. It just didn't, it didn't take off until, you know, I was in my thirties uh, and started in flight crew connections. So you say at 16 that, that your goal was to be a business owner. Where did that desire come from? I have absolutely no idea. It just was in me. I just knew that I didn't want to work for somebody else. I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to create something and do something that I wanted to be the boss. I just was there. And there was no, no exposure to entrepreneurship in in your family growing up or anything like that. Um, No, not, not in my, well, a little bit. My stepfather had his own business and my mom later in life uh, started her own business as an interior designer. But, you know, my early years, no, I I wasn't really exposed to it. That's, that's interesting to have that in your mind at at an early age. So, so take us through some of those hurdles then, right? You're, you're 16 years old, you've got this goal in your mind, and then you get to fast forward and now all of a sudden you're doing what you had in your mind as a teenager. What were some of those those biggest hurdles or challenges that you had starting a business? Well, there was lots, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) 
we, we'll spend the, the next hour just talking about this. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I think, you know, that fine tuning of what is it that I really want to do, you know, and finding something that is not only something that I wanted to do, but what is marketable, you know, what is something that somebody else wants? And if you're that trying to be creative and, you know, find something different. I mean, I could go get a franchise, but, you know, did I want to do that or did I want to start something? And, you know, I think it was just kind of dabbling in things that kind of helped to refine that um, per se. Um, You know, the challenges, you know, the, uh, the biggest challenge, I think, was finding something that, you know, was marketable or that other people wanted. Um, but then you get into there's financing and, you know, of course, I didn't have any money. So, you know, how do you do something when you don't have, you know, funds behind you to start something? I mean, I think if I had 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 money, then it might have been a lot easier, but I didn't. In, in some ways, right? But then right. the story and the evolution wouldn't have been the same either. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, I relate to that. My my first business, my my risk was $180. That was that was me being, <laughs> that was me going all in before I started having revenue come in. So so I understand the bootstrap <laughs> I yeah, because I've I've definitely, you know, in flight crew connections was bootstrapped from the beginning. So yeah, makes sense. Hey, Jennifer, before we go in further to in-flight crew connections, which that's, I've got some aviation background in my my history as well. And so I'm really anxious to go into that. But one thing that you said early on here was, you know, you had started a couple of things, bridal store catering and doing some catering of events, but they they didn't really take off. I want to hear some of the things that you learned in trying these other things sounded to me like, you know, okay, those were some passion kind of areas, but didn't find that they, they took or had traction in the market. What are some of the things that you learned from those experiences that helped you as you were building and growing in-flight crew connections? Mm. That's good. Um, well, you know, Kate, the catering and I, I just decided I didn't really want to work that hard <laughs> physically, you know, that was just very physically demanding and on your feet and, you know, and that I enjoyed the work and, you know, I'm, I used to be really good at cooking. I don't cook anymore, but you know, that was something that was a talent of mine but I I think that just because you have a talent uh doesn't mean that's where you're going to make your living at you know and I you know just because it sometimes it's better to have that as your hobby and not as as the way you earn a living um what were some other lessons with the bridal store you know retail is just really a challenge, you know, of the customers and selling enough to make the bills and the ups and downs. Not that I haven't had ups and downs financially in my own, my own business now, but, um, you know, I didn't, I mean, I know that you learn things in everything that you do and everything that I've done in my, in my life, you know, kind of, came into in-flight crew connections and, you know, delivering a high level of service. And I, you know, I was always passionate about, about customer service and making people happy. I guess that's what it is. I like to make people happy. So, um, so that's the best I can think of at this point. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. One of the pieces you hit on, which I think is people very easily go one way or another, and it's the sometimes your your hobbies or what you like to do shouldn't necessarily be what your business is, right? Because it's 
it's very easy for people to get up on a stage and yell, follow your passion and things like that. Um, but the fact that your evolution transitioned from something that you may enjoy as a hobby and you were able to refine into in-flight, which was what you viewed as, as a viable business and have been able to since grow that, right? Without having right. the passion for it at the beginning. Um, right. So the difference of, of those two mentalities quite often, I think, gets small business owners in trouble, right? Because they can go and start a business of something that, that they're passionate about, but they have no idea how to run a company. So mm -hmm. one thing that's really interesting about you is, is the flip side of it. Where have you developed and honed the, the business owning and business running skills, right? So it's not the, hey, I'm going to do this passion. And I'm going to figure out the business. It's like, you've got the business skills and now you're going to figure out which business to apply it to. So, so where did you hone that? How did you do that throughout the years? Well, I, I think it kind of being self-aware um, and knowing, you know, and I think this is really important for other entrepreneurs is being self-aware and knowing yourself and where your deficits lie. And that's not a negative, you know, in the sense that, you know, we're just not all everything. And so one of the first things that I did is I knew that my strength did not lie in accounting. And so, and when we, when we incorporated the business, the attorney was like, you know, you need to make sure you act like a business and not like a hobby. And, you know, you need to take this serious. I'm like, yeah, I am. And, you know, and so, but I had already, my first hire was, someone to manage the business side, the, the accounting part of the business. So, so I can grasp numbers, but not, you know, I'm not going to sit there and. Yeah. That's know, something that's <laughs> balance the books. Right. Yep. <laughs> no, that, that's smart though. Right. That self-awareness can be a superpower in business ownership. So you knew that that was yeah. something that was in your wither zone. It wasn't something that you were going to do at an elite level. So you, hire somebody to do it. Right. So let's go to the evolution of in-flight a little bit because it's interesting, right? So you started it as a regional corporate flight attendant service. Um, right. and, and obviously it has dramatically evolved since then. So take us through a little bit of that evolution from the beginning days uh, and then moving forward. Well, there was, it kind of was started because my ex-husband was in corporate aviation. And, and so he, there was a need in the Southeast for flight attendants that actually knew what they were doing on board of corporate jets, because it's a different world. You can't take someone at American Airlines and put them in a corporate jet and that be a successful flight, um, because there's just a big difference in the duties and how you treat people. I mean, etiquette and protocol with, you know, high net worth individuals. And so, you know, we created that tr a training program to help train or retrain flight attendants in how to work on corporate aircraft. Um, we also had in the beginning, you know, we had five uh, companies that were local to North, South and Georgia and that committed and said, okay, we'll use your service if you start it because we need help solving this problem that they would hire flight attendants and that had commercial experience and it was a disaster or people that, you know, thought, oh yeah, this is what I want to do is be a flight attendant and I can do this. I've, I've served guests at home or I've worked in a five-star restaurant. I understand. And and they really don't. And so, you know, we had a commitment from five customers. And so we started with zero cash up front. Yeah. Hey, Jennifer. Um, yeah, this is going to be fun because <laughs> my... My uncle used to be James Brown's Learjet pilot. And, and oh, I, small world. I still have... 
Yeah. So, and I did work with Learjet, with Cessna, with Beach, uh, with British Aerospace on their co their corporate side. Uh, so oh, we'll, we'll have awesome. fun talking about some of that stuff. But um, you know, I'm interested in the fact that so you talked about being self-aware and and Ben used this in your wither zone we talk about things being in your thrive zone or in your wither zone i'm just curious what did you do did did you did you go through any exercises yourself or did you just write things down or did you just innately know oh well these are the things i love doing and these are the things i hate doing i'm just curious about that because a lot of people really struggle with that. No, I, I, I do that now that I've been in business 20 years. I write down constantly. seems like every year or so I'm writing down, what am I good at? You know, what do I not want to do? You know, let me, let me make sure I'm staying the course of what, I, what I'm good at. And, but in the beginning, no, it was just, you know, knowing, okay, I'm not good at this. And, you know, I... Have you ever used uh, like business coaching or peer groups or anything like that throughout your, your entrepreneurship? Yeah. I'm involved in a peer group, uh, chief executive boards international, and I absolutely love it. And, you know, I know there's lots of different peer groups out there now, but um, that group has really helped me, you know, to mature and grow and learn and fill those gaps, you know, when I went to school, to college, and got a marketing degree, you know, I graduated in, in 88, and so I, I really don't remember much about what I learned in business school when I went, but um, so I just, it's been so incredibly valuable and important for me to be a part of a peer group, and you know, it's, it's been really good. It's a very common theme on this, on this show that there's business coaching or peer groups or things like that. So you get out of the echo chamber of your own business and you mm -hmm. get to interact with other people and get other ideas and, and hear other thoughts and perspectives, things like that. So it's just, it's interesting. And yeah, that, that leads into another thing I want to ask about that you hit on earlier. So obviously in-flight has, has evolved pretty dramatically from what you just started it as 20 years ago. Where did that, that growth mindset or thinking big come from? Because it very easily could have been, you have this flight asset, uh, attendant training service company and you stay pretty local. You do that for these few companies and, and you just make it a lifestyle business. Where did that, that growth mindset or that thinking big uh, type mentality come from for you? I think that's just something that's innate inside of me. Um, you know, I'm just the kind of person that you go big or go home. And I, sometimes it drives me crazy that I'm just obsessed with, it's not that it's not, I'm not really driven by greed. It's just, I'm driven by that success and growing and, then also sustaining, you know, is, is a big part of, you know, of that growth and that drive. It's that, you know, there's attrition in customers that you can't avoid. And, you know, in aviation, you know, people have jets and they have wealth and then for whatever reason, they either lose it or they decide that their own jet is not as important as it used to be. And, and so there's that constant drive to survive and to, you know, move forward and to grow that is just there. And sometimes I wish I didn't have it, <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> Would things be uh, slightly less chaotic if you, if you didn't have that? <laughs> my pe my people would probably say that <laughs> they would like to stay the way we were 10 years ago um but that it doesn't work that way i mean you can't you know it, it wasn't for me what started off as somewhat of a hobby business a side business i was having kids and i had young kids 
and starting the business, you know, it was a hobby that I could fit in in between, you know, taking care of kids. And, but then I became a single mom and then all of a sudden it's no longer a hobby or business, but it's, it was a requirement that I was either going to have to do this and make it successful, or I was going to have to go get a job for somebody else, which was not in my DNA that I wanted to go work for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump forward and we can bounce back chronologically, but uh, when you hit on attrition and sustainability, things like that, it, it jumps forward in my mind to uh, COVID and how it dramatically, it was a dramatic upheaval for many businesses, right? And the sustainability and being able to stay in business and how do you evolve during that time was, was extremely relevant. So I'm going to start with a basic one and then obviously we'll dig deeper from there, but how did COVID impact your business? COVID was ugly. (laughs) Um, I asked, I wanted to explore this a bit. Yeah. It, I mean, COVID, everybody, you know, I sent everybody home March 17th for two weeks and, um, and then everybody stopped flying. The airlines, the private jet operators stopped flying. I mean, it paralyzed aviation. And, um, you know, we went from almost, you know, 1.8 million in revenue in a month to 200,000 revenue. That's not profit. That was revenue. (laughs) And so it, it was like scary and it's just sitting on the edge of my seat the whole time thinking, okay, when is this going to go away? And when are people going to start flying again? I mean, it was so abnormal for, you know, the world that just everything stopped. And, you know, we, we went from, you know, April or March, April, we were going to have a gangbuster year. Um, probably the best year ever in 20. And we just came to that screeching halt and stayed in the red until July of 21. So what were some of those actions that, that you, that you took, um, as it's not even for you as COVID ramped up or became more prevalent, it's basically as the light switch went on. Yeah. Um, So, so what were some of those actions that you took? Well, my, my goal, you know, I kept waiting it out and thinking, okay, it's going to turn. I mean, we, we were, um, we, we were healthy as a company. There was money in reserves and, you know, so that helped us to get through that difficult period of COVID. But what we did is we cut out all overtime. Um, You know, we reduced expenses you know, as much as we could. Um, Our lease had expired and our landlord said, well, I've already rented your space for another 10 years. So um, we went 100% remote for all of our team members. Um, But I told my team in June, I'm like, you know, one thing that I'm really committed to, and this isn't the first recession that I've gone through, is that I really want my goal is to keep everybody employed and for the business to survive and to thrive post whenever this thing gets over. And, you know, those were the two things that were my goals. And I set those out to the company and to everybody and everybody was afraid, you know, they were wondering, you know, they, they knew their work level had dropped dramatically and, you know, they knew that writing could be on the wall. And I think it built a lot of camaraderie and loyalty out of, you know, the team that, you know, that they, then they understood what the goal was, is that wanted to keep everybody in because it's, we're, we're a niche business. And so, you know, it's hard to find people that understand corporate aviation and staffing at the same time. And so, um, 
we kept everybody employed and some people, you know, had, you know, were glad to reduce their hours and reduce their paycheck, but we didn't cut anybody's pay. Um, we, we just kept everybody and just went down to bare bones as much as we could. Yeah. So the amazing piece about that too, is you had put yourself in the position to be able to do that, right? You said you've, you had the, you had the reserves, you had the ability to, to trim and go bare bones for expenses, but it's the forward thinking of having those things in place in the first place, because you don't know when the storms are going to come, but you're able to weather the storms as they did come. So I think that's, I think that's one thing that really stands out there for me. Um, as you're making those decisions, what did the decision-making within the company look like? How much of it was you stepping away as, as the leader and the owner of the business trying to make decisions? How much of it was roundtable conversations with, with the other leaders in the company? Um, what did all that look like, peek behind the curtain, I guess? Well, you know, we, we were transparent about, you know, okay, here's the reality. Here's our revenue guys, you know, we're company, we're strong company. And, um, you know, they did, everybody rallied of what can we do? What can we save and cut? And, you know, it was, they definitely had buy-in and ideas and, you know, it was, it was a team effort for sure. Um, it wasn't, wasn't all my brilliance. <laughs> it was, you know, them, you know, saying, and, you know, my controller is awesome at, you know, managing money and, you know, and just figuring it all out. I mean, I, I mean, I did, I, I did take a pay cut myself and, um, you know, felt like, you know, that was important. Um, but, and my COO did a little bit and, you know, so that that's, those were two big contributions to keeping the team together. Yeah. It reminds me of Simon Sinek's book, the leaders eat last. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Keeping everybody there, not reducing people's pay, making sure people stay employed. And then at the end of all that, you say, and you took a pay cut, right? So that, that leaders eat last mentality is pretty prevalent. And so. I didn't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you could have written the book. <laughs> I lived it. Yeah, there you that, go. That's the Cliff's notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you saved all of our listeners. The, you know, you don't have to read it. Whatever Jennifer did, that's what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, it's as much my livelihood as it was all of their livelihood, you know, and I'm, I'm still putting kids through college and, you know, it's that's that survival mentality just kind of kicked in and, you know, it was like, okay, what are we going to do, you know, to, so to survive this? You, you've talked about the strength of your controller and um, your team. I'm just curious about, you know, um, getting ideas from your front line as well as from your team. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you and your management team work together, what that looks like? You know, you guys get together weekly, daily, et cetera, and then how do you especially now that you're virtual, um, how do you continue to have that communication flow back and forth and um, stay connected to the front line? Well, we had a lot of pushback in the beginning, well, before COVID about using teams and from the team internally, you know, and the ability to use it. And all of a sudden when COVID hit, it's like, everybody had this fast track class on how to use teams. And so teams has really helped to, you know, help the company continue to communicate. Um, we have uh, daily um, like department meetings um, we have manager meeting every week and we have other one-on-one -on -one meetings and I, the meeting level increased 
over COVID. And, but I think in a remote environment, you know, it had to happen or otherwise we wouldn't have kept people together and kept them engaged. And then, you know, the, we had had a laundry list of things that we wanted to do in the company, you know, but never had time. And so it was really neat to see a lot of the teams and individuals in departments step out of their comfort zone and start taking on projects and things that would continue to help drive the company forward, you know, in the organization forward, but, um, you know, just weren't a part of their normal duties and, or even necessarily in their line of expertise, but they were able to, you know, to tackle and, you know, and actually it has helped us to come out of COVID, you know, stronger than when we started because of the things that we did during that time and how we used our time. Do you follow a framework like scaling up or like entrepreneurs operating system EOS and with yes. Wickman's yes. traction? Yeah, yeah we I do EOS. What, you use EOS. All right, cool. Yeah. So you've got an outside coach slash implementer. Well, my, my implementer is internally and okay. it's my COO and she's she's just a brilliant businesswoman and um but from my peer group i learned about eos and so you know i i had these big hairy audacious goals and so we took that and you know we put it all into an eos system and you know wrote thing we just she spent a lot of time. I can't take the credit at all for that um, because she really put it all together. We had lots of conversations and, you know, I, I recited all these things I wanted to do and she put it in paper <laughs> or actually in Excel. So I love that, you know, um, whether somebody is using a system and I don't really care what the system is, it could be. Sandler's uh, organizational excellence. It could be Gina Wickman's EOS. It could be Her- Vern Harnish's scaling up. I really don't care because each one of them has pros and cons, and and we actually use a kind of a potpourri of all of those things. But, but mm-hmm. you know, to be able to take a vision from a visionary person like you, and usually that is a CEO, mm-hmm. and have somebody be able to drive that and implement it like a, a, an integrator or, uh, you know, uh, is in using EOS language, but, you know, a very detail-oriented, project-oriented COO, if you will, that's really critical. I mean, every dynamic duo that I've seen in business, I mean, Hugh McCall was a great visionary in town. And, you know, he had Ken Lewis, who was a really good implementer for him. Um, Whoever, you know, you said it early on, start with your strengths, know your strengths, be pretty self-aware. And I'm a firm believer as well, write it down, write the stuff that you love doing and that you're good at doing and write the, the stuff that you hate doing, even if you're good at it, write those things down. We call it thrive wither. And then get people to sup- supplement your strengths. But I, I think that's really wise of you. How long have you been uh, operating in that? And were you doing it prior to COVID? I'm just curious. Yes, prior to COVID. I want to say uh, it was probably 2017 or 18 that we started the EOS system. I think it was 18. Well, I think it's really good that you did. Um, and, and probably, you know, the, the ones that we've seen that were hit so hard during COVID and, and your business was definitely among the, you know, the toughest, you know, that industry, uh, the ones that had things in place, systems in place, some cash reserves and, and a team 
have survived. The ones that did not, did not do so well. Right. Well, I'm grateful I survived. <laughs> we are too. <laughs> yeah. Your people are. Yeah. I like achieving goals, <laughs> but I, I can assure you that there were days that I wondered, I'm like, okay, just because you want to survive, that doesn't mean you're going to get through this. And so anyway, it was good to set that target out in front though. So, so even throughout all of that and, and the different, some of the different hurdles that we've been talking about, um, you've got, I think it's eight years running of best of staffing, uh, client satisfaction and talent satisfaction awards. I think it's either seven or eight straight years for both of those. Actually, actually it's nine. There we go. Even better. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> Don't cheat me on this. There 22. You go. No. <laughs> no and, the, and it's really amazing to be able to sustain that high level for that long of a time. So talk to us a little bit about the culture and the business, because there's no way to sustain that level of excellence and be that consistent without having a strong culture within the business. Well, I'm very fortunate in the fact that not really I don't really have this down to a science about how it all happened, but, you know, the team, you know, they know how I want to deliver and how I wanted to deliver service. And we do spend time talking about the culture of our industry and our customers and our buyers and, you know, how we started and what made us successful and the track record. I mean, we do spend that time in our new hire orientation. So I guess they do get it there, but, you know, everybody that comes on, it's just, they, they've bought into that delivery of a high level of service. And I do have people that have come from business aviation, you know, into, and they understand that, you know, you do have to perform at a higher level. Um, but, you know, they, they just live out my vision every day. And I, I really consider myself fortunate that, that they do, um, you know, and they, you know, we, we answer the phone, uh, you know, on the second ring and, you know, our customers get a live voice. They don't get a automated phone tree, you know, that they get to go through to try and get their answers. So there's a lot of old school uh, customer service in there that, you know, maybe it should be replaced, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, you maintain that standard. And then also maybe people come into your company with that, that standard in their mind, but it was when you were talking about what uh, you guys did during COVID and the transparency of just telling people, this is, this is where we are. This is what the business mm -hmm. is. That, that transparency from leadership goes a long way also, right? And it allows yeah. the employees to keep that standard and feel bought in and feel empowered and be a part of it too. So I think that's yeah. unique. Jennifer, I want to, I want to, put a pin in this on, on acquiring and finding the right talent. Cause it's something that I think every leader struggles with to a certain degree. Um, what are the things that you guys do? What are the systems or things that you look for so that you have a better shot at having a, a, a somebody, a, a talent that's, aligned with your vision, with your core values, et cetera. I'm just curious about that part of your hiring process. Well, we do take a team approach to hiring and that it's not just one person's decision. In the old days, I hired everybody. Um, and now we hire people that I don't meet until they come to orientation. And I do I do one of the first sets of classes in orientation so they get to spend time with me. But um, so the team approach, we use assessments to understand, you know, more about them that's not on their resume. 
you know, how they work, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, you know, it's, so we start off talking about strengths and weaknesses and, you know, sometimes you have to coach somebody, well, what are you going to, what's this assessment going to tell you? I'm like, it's going to tell us your strengths and weaknesses because we want to make sure that our team has the strengths that we need. And, you know, we know everybody has weaknesses. So, you know, we, we do that. And then, you know, we've, we've learned a lot of hard lessons in hiring the wrong people. And those are really costly lessons, um, you know, from losing them to the time between you replacing them to, you know, the, just the recruiting process of looking to, for new talent, you know, is just very challenging and it's just hard on the team. So our goal is to, is to try and make the best hires that we can, but, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. I haven't figured one out yet, if there is. So I want to ask you a little bit further on that. What, cause I've gone through almost every assessment known to man, I think. And I actually <laughs> like, I, I'm kind of a student of those things. So I'm curious as to what assessment uh, you guys like using and why, and then also if you have, you know, one of those painful lessons learned um, without using names or anything like that, like that was so painful that you said, okay, we're going to change so that we don't repeat that. Well, I've got lots of those. <laughs> um, so we use uh, a product called Omnia and I was looking for an, I, I wanted to get an assessment. My peer group said, you got to get assessments. And I actually, I don't know how it landed on my desk. Maybe somebody sent it to me in the mail, but they sent me a sample assessment and I didn't really go on any shopping tour of other products. I'm like, well, I'm just going to give them a try. And so we, I did a demo with them and, you know, they, where we are now with that product is that we have benchmarked everybody in the company and even past employees, good and bad. And so we will weigh a new candidate. The product will, will take the new candidate and compare them to the team that they will be working the most directly with and what that team will look like and how they complement or maybe don't complement that group. And so with me, I need integrator type of people around me. And so finding people that are similar is, is or not, they're opposite of me um, is really important. But we, you know, so we have everybody benchmarked and then we're able to bring in new people and compare them. We, we love it. I mean, I know there's lots of great products out there. We are just so, um, we've just got so much time invested in our database built of people that um, we stay with it. But costly lessons, I think before, you know, using assessments and I mean assessments aren't the the golden ticket I mean they don't tell you everything uh, and we've certainly hired even when there were warnings about this person may not do this um, they want to do it their way and not follow process and you know it's always right it's amazing you know how, how spot on those assessments can be but I think the putting the wrong people in the wrong seats has been probably the biggest lesson in that just because you, I might want them to do a certain job and they think, oh, that's sexy, or I would love to do that. Um, that doesn't mean they can do it. Um, and, you know, we've really tried to focus in on getting the talent that can actually really do the job and have experience in doing what we need them to do because teaching people up in a job is extremely 
time consuming. And that was something early on is that, okay, I can teach you how to do this job. I can write a process. I can show you and do it. And it still, it's just a big drain. And it took me away from doing other things that were better use of my time. And so, you know, I really, these days, I really like to hire people that know what they're doing and know what are doing are experts in the job that I have open. Yeah, um, it, it's painful and costly when um, other people are learning on your dime. Oh, yes. <laughs> and there's a, there's a, you know, there's an element to that, like we're big believers in internship programs. And, mm -hmm. and we grow and cultivate our own. But um, that's different than when you have an immediate need, you know, you're going to spend the money and hire somebody that knows what they're doing, but that has this, I love the, the awareness that you're using with this assessment and the fact that you even went back to former employees and benchmarked. I think that's like, that's, that's one of those aha moments for me in this conversation, the extremely, uh, you know, good awareness uh, and, and good, good thought in that. Um, so kudos to you for that. Uh, that was a, a good learning. So anyway, and just because um, somebody wants something doesn't mean that they're going to be something good at it, you know? So yeah. I think really, really good lessons there. Yeah. And not just like, it goes deeper than that, right? So you're not evaluating somebody for somebody you're evaluating it for what they're specifically going to be doing for you right because people can be great interviewers or have lots of talents and you can want them to be in the business but if you're hiring them because you like them and not because you think they're the right fit for jennifer as you said the putting people in the right seats then it's still a bad hire even if the person may may be good if they don't fit that seat Exactly. And technology, we're, we've become so technology driven as an organization. And the final pieces that were not cloud based pre COVID are now cloud based. And so you have to have an aptitude for working in the, uh, you know, a, a technical environment you know with cloud-based softwares and this it's it's really important and that really slows our organization down when someone doesn't come with that skill set or experience you know in using different south you know software systems they're they're still out there <laughs> <laughs> So, not everybody has converted to that. Right. I'm sure a lot more have than two years ago, though. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to flip as we get towards the end here and, and focus more on, on you as the individual leader. Um, and a piece that when Gary asked you that first question at the beginning, right, of you traveling and exploring and seeing things and it's an aspect of business ownership and leadership that I don't think it's talked about enough. And that's how you prioritize yourself outside of the company. So what are some of the things that you do, even if it's just expanding on what you talked about earlier, but what are some of the things you do to make sure that you're prioritizing Jennifer, the individual, instead of having a business be all consuming? Well, that is that is still a challenge and something that you have to fight that I have to fight for, for myself, because it's easy to get sucked in. And, you know, with the business and the business taking priority. Um, but I do, I do try to schedule time away and vacations and COVID obviously there weren't, you couldn't go on vacation. And so that, that was a real downer because I'm like, okay, I have time now, <laughs> but I can't go anywhere. So, um, but I, I do, I, for 10 years, I've worked out with a trainer and, you know, two to three days a week. Um, I go to massage therapy that's 
that does more body work and kind of working on different muscles. And it's, it's not, it's not a girl spa trip. It's, it's actually quite painful to go, but um, you know, that's something that, you know, I work on and I, and I try to do things that, you know, that I like to do uh, as much as I can away from work and spend time with friends and family. Um, But I'm not really where I want to be with taking time for me because as I also told you, I'm kind of in this weird place where the kids are, you know, flying the nest and I'm, you know, somewhat still a parent in their home, but I'm also empty nesters. Like, okay, what do you want to do next with your life, Jennifer? (laughs) But it is very, I totally agree. And my team will tell me, you know, Jennifer, you know, you need to get away because you're, you know, I'm more refreshed and come back and it just can wear on you, you know, the day-to-day grind of running a business and doing the things that we do and working at a, a fast pace that, you know, you can just put your body in motion and keep going, but it's, you know, it's really important to get away. And I actually getting away is not necessarily a vacation because then my mind is able to think about things in the business differently and it's not the day to day. And so I really cherish that time away. Yep. And you don't, I, at least anyway, don't realize the deterioration of myself and effectiveness and efficiency and things like that until I step away and come back refreshed and clear mind and have had the time to be able to just think it's really, I think it's extremely important and it's something that's easy to neglect, right? Because you can just get in the grind of the day to day and never step away or prioritize yourself. Exactly. So I kind of, I would like to, I would like to take at least three vacations a year. Now that hasn't happened in the last couple of years, but you know, that, that would be a good three or four. <laughs> yep. <laughs> be a good, good break for me. So Jennifer, you, you've hit on a number of common themes that we see across all of these entrepreneurs that, that we've interviewed here, that we work with as well. You know, one is awareness knowing what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, surrounding yourself with people that complement that. So that that's one. Two is this humility and teachability, which is they're all in peer-to-peer, some sort of a peer-to-peer group or a coaching scenario. Um, another one that you mentioned that I thought was interesting is you've got a fitness coach. So uh, fitness is another like common thing, like, and it doesn't matter whether they're super young or they're old like me, <laughs> we're all into fitness. Um, I'm just curious too, like, are you a reader? Uh, you know, and if so, what's, what's uh, one of your favorite books? Well, honestly, I don't, I, had, I like to read, but I haven't really you know, and I'll read different business books, um, you know, as I need to, but honestly, I have not had time. Yeah. To, to just spit, sit and read. It's actually on one of my personal goal lists was to read some of the books that I've bought. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, that's also a common theme along visionaries because <laughs> I've got friends that have uh, lots of, you know, a third finished books. <laughs> exactly. That's like a disease. I think that you, you know, start a book and then I've, I've actually started several books this year. Um, I finished, I'm about three fourths the way through two that I'm reading right now. And one is on the vagus nerve, um, and learning, just trying to be healthy and, you know, and then I've got one, Five Dysfunctions of a Team is actually one that we're reading oh, right now. So That's a good one. Patrick Lencioni. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, big, we're big fans of that one. So we're doing All some right. leadership training uh, this year. 
And that's, that's step one of the plan as everybody's reading that book. So, but I would like to read more. Well, that's, it's not an indictment at all. I'm just like, you know, some people are just like, they plow through books and, and then <laughs> uh, one of my good friends, um, and he's a client as well, uh, Andy Hilliard. <laughs> he, he is famous for like giving you a book. And I'm like, have you read it? Well, I've, I've started it. Like I, how many pages? <laughs> oh, about 10 pages. <laughs> yeah, so, right. <laughs> well, I'm really fortunate in our, in my peer group, uh, our leader, actually, he spends time, you know, reading these books and he gives us at each, each time we meet, he gives us the Cliff Notes version. So I actually do get to hear more business books, but it's, it's through him. And I really appreciate that, that, you know, he then spends 30 minutes giving us the book review of something really that he found valuable. So yeah, there, if I can really cheat, good. I'm going to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> there's a really good podcast called founders and the guy who, who does the podcast reads a book about a, a founder or business owner, and then does an episode on the book and on that guy or, or lady's story. And so mm -hmm. you get basically an hour dive into a book and if you want to then dive deeper and read it, great. But if not, you kind of like what you were just saying, you get the cliff notes at least and get a good idea of it. Yeah. I probably get a couple books in a year. So, so Gary, any, any final thoughts? This has been a really fun conversation. Yeah, no, this has been fun. And I just think it was interesting too. Um, the last flight I was on, uh, was on a guy's uh, Gulfstream G450, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and um, lucky you. <laughs> oh, that was that was beautiful. That's the only way to go to Cabo. I'm telling you. But um, the the level of service with those flight attendants and that crew um, are just like second to none. And you know, when you're dealing with somebody that's you know. <laughs> putting $10,000 worth of uh, jet fuel in just for a flight before, and that's before <laughs> these crazy gas prices. That's mm -hmm. a whole different level. And a lot of people would naturally go to, oh, well, if you've got commercial aviation experience, you're going to be just great. You, well, no, there, there's some similarities, but there's a humongous difference. And mindset is a lot of it, right? Exactly. So that was really... Um, quite interesting. So no, you, you were, you did a great job, Jennifer. Thank you so much Aww. for joining us and for taking the time. Well, thank you. It was, it was fun to talk to you guys and it was fun to talk about the not so typical things that I get to talk about. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. I'm glad you got to ride on a G4. I, that's oh, yeah, my that air. Was... When I do get to get an airplane, I want a Gulfstream. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that's that is that is the way to go. I'm just glad I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> that that part is nice because they're very they're very expensive. Um, I mean, you yeah. got to have a, a lot of money to be able to own and operate them. Yeah. But I'm glad you had a good experience. Yeah, I was out. I, I hadn't flown literally. The last time I had flown was commercially on March the 3rd through the 5th uh, down in Florida for a client um, on in 2020. <laughs> and so oh, wow. I wasn't really anxious to get back on a flight, especially commercially and much less going into Mexico. Um, but um, I got invited to join this guy and some friends and that's the way to go, man. That's the way to deal with yeah. customs too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so Jennifer, how do, how do we um, direct people to find out more about you or, and your company? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, they can also go to our website. Um, you know, we, 
you can Google my name or the name of the company and you're going to find a lot of pages, you know, there on us. Um, last time I looked, we were like 10 pages into the internet. Like, <laughs> so, you know, there's just a lot that has been the accolades and different press releases. So it's pretty easy to find us. Perfect. Well, we'll put links to that in the show notes also. But thank you so much for coming on, Jennifer. This has been a lot of fun. You're welcome, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jennifer. Have a wonderful day and a great weekend. Okay, you too. Bye-bye.